You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day, from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Uh, we do have Redemption Hill kids for ages two to four, so if that serves you, parents, uh, maybe dismissed. Thank you, Erica and Jocelyn. Uh, before you leave, Erica, a little bit of levity here before I begin my sermon. Um, over five, coming up in five years of preaching, I've been told I have different styles of preaching. I've been told I have the airplane. Where's Logan at? That's one of them. I've also been told recently that I have sprinkle fingers. Um, so that from Erica and my wife. Sharice. I don't know what, else, what other uh, animations I have, but I'm sure you can give a name to it. <laughs> oh, I do this, apparently. And here's, here's the deal about preaching. Again, there's a little, little levity. I don't, I don't consciously know what I'm doing <laughs> 95% of the time. <laughs> it's just my animations. All right. Um, kids, if you're in service, we do have totes and kids' sermon notes as well, if that serves you. My goal today is actually to incorporate all three animations, so I'm going to fly, I'm going to sprinkle my fingers, and whatever this is. Um, if, you've been, if you've listened to the previous two sermons, you know that I've, uh, I've slowed down to ask, uh, what does it mean to be at rest? Uh, today is, you know, it's kind of a, yeah, your sermon series, and it's kind of a mini sermon series within that. And so today is part three of three of looking at biblical rest, and then we'll shift gears next week. I, I've slowed down, I've slowed the bus to uh, look at biblical rest um, because it seems to me that biblical rest has been greatly misunderstood. Uh, we have a very American view of rest. And sometimes our American view of rest is at odds with biblical rest. I made the audacious statement uh, two weeks ago now. A person not showing up to church because they're tired is not receiving biblical rest. You, You can call, I said this, you can call that whatever you want, right? Just don't call it biblical rest. A person who is tired, let's say you, know, you work Saturday and you work late, but you come and you show up to church. A person who's tired and shows up Sunday morning will receive biblical rest. Allow me to get personal for a moment. 
Slowing down to see what the Bible says about rest has caused me to make a categorical change on how I view Sunday morning. Like me personally. I've been thinking about how I understand the Lord's Day in light of being a pastor, right? A pastor, you know, quote, works on Sunday. And oftentimes, Sundays for me are 12-hour days, right? But I should not believe for a moment that I'm not in position to receive rest from God, regardless of my position, regardless of my title, regardless of what I'm doing. So, like, for example, I no longer want to go home and say, oof, that was a long day at work. I'm tired. I don't want to say that anymore in light of like my own study of rest in the Bible. Like I want to go home and say, what a great day of God-focused, God-centered rest. And yes, am I tired? For sure. But am I at rest? Absolutely. When the spiritual touches the physical, We're seeing something else take shape regarding rest. Allow me to say it differently. Sunday has become a day of the weekend and not the Lord's Day. That's what it's become for us. As I close out this section of Hebrews, I want to make a direct connection between rest and what we're doing this morning. I want to make a connection between rest and and what this day is all about. So it's kind of where we're headed. So before I pray, i got a few more caveats that I think would be helpful for you to hear before getting into the message formally. First, many respectable Christians will disagree with some of my, my conclusions. Just say that on the out front. Out front. That's okay. Uh, there are pastors within our denomination who, who will disagree with some of my conclusions. Uh, there are some within this room who I've had conversations about, you know, what, is, what does Sabbath rest mean? who disagree. And that's, that's okay. <laughs> I'm just telling you at the outset. This is a culture. So hopefully this is a culture where, as a church, we can have these discussions and look at God's Word together. So I want you to know that I know the waters that I'm wading into this morning, and I do think there's room for ongoing discussion. Second, I also know that I might be touching a third rail. Within American evangelicalism, I am addressing a topic that has become untouchable in some sectors. And if it gets touched, some segments within American Christianity in particular get upset. And it's not just evangelicalism. I grew up Catholic and I saw the same type of trends. Generally speaking, third world issues exist not because of principles, but, what, but the implications of the principles. So I'm well aware of what this may touch in your life, and in my own life, too. And that leads to my third point. And then I'll pray. I I am genuinely preaching to myself this morning. I know I've said that recently. I think I said that two weeks ago. In part, that's because this topic of biblical rest has hit me to the core. And hopefully that's a really good thing, right? Hopefully you don't want your pastor, myself, or Rob just thinking the same thing over and over and not growing, right? I think I've truly tried to grow in this particular area. So I am preaching 
to myself, throughout the entire week, I have been sweetly convicted by God's word and even challenged to make changes to continue to pursue faithfulness to God's word. For example, here's one practical change that I want to make in my own life. I want to end my workday Saturday earlier so that I am better rested for Sunday. I've really thought about that in my own life. We'll have the discussion later, honey. <laughs> like, what does that mean? But, but I truly believe that. I'm like, okay, I work long Saturdays, fine. What do I got to do to position myself and my family to have better physical rest on Saturday to be ready to receive spiritual food on Sunday? I'm challenged by that. So, those are some caveats and some thoughts. Now let's pray and then we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, today is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And as we rejoice, may we be at rest this morning as we look at your word. I trust that the, that the spirit would indeed be at work as I preach and as my words go into the ears of my friends in front of me. But Lord, what we want is to be changed and helped. And I trust that you'll do that this morning. Pray that you keep air from my mouth. And Lord, may I be faithful to what you've already said. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever thought to yourself that biblical rest is a gospel issue? If you're not at rest, you lack peace with God. If you are at rest, your soul is at peace with God. And when the gospel has arrested your heart, then you're at rest, and paradoxically, by grace, you, you continue to strive, right? We saw that last week. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor, you, maybe you're overstating the point. Now, there was a time in my life, many years ago, where I think I, I would think that saying that rest, biblical rest, is a gospel issue is an overstatement, but I don't think that anymore. Biblical rest is not abrogating your God-given responsibilities. If God has called you to a vocation, a vocation, you faithfully work your vocation. If God has called you to be a husband or wife, you faithfully pursue what it means to be a godly man or woman in marriage. God has called us to friendship. Well, we faithfully seek those friendships and cultivate them. God has called members of the local church to serve one another within this context you use your gifts to, to help others and to glorify God with your gifts. And everything I've mentioned takes work. But work is not the antithesis to rest. Last week I read in Hebrews 4.11 that we need to strive to be at rest with God. Striving, working. So, if being at rest with God is not the absence of striving in our work, then what is biblical rest? I want to show you from Holy Scripture that biblical rest, which is this fusion of the spiritual and the physical, is rightly ordering your life in Christ and for Christ with Sunday, the Lord's Day, as your anchor. Let me say it again. I want to show you from Holy Scripture that biblical rest is rightly ordering your life in Christ and for Christ, and Sunday is the anchor of our rest. 
So, I do not think I am wrong when I suggest that rest, when rightly understood, is a gospel issue. I want to make one more observation about the general attitude of what it means to you know, go to church today by well-meaning Christians, and then I'll get into Hebrews 4. Church in America has become something that happens um, when someone shows up for an hour and a half on Saturday night and Sunday morning. The Lord's Day has become the Lord's hour and a half, or whatever. Again, grew up uh, Catholic, and I tell you what, 45 minutes <laughs> was, was Catholic Mass. And if, if it went 46 minutes, I, there was somebody headed to the priest to let him know. Like, dude, you're over the time. We're all looking at the clock. And that's kind of what the Lord's Day has become. And I, I don't mean to be caustic by any means, um, I do not mean to place guilt in anyone, but I want us to see the present reality so we can understand how far we've drifted from God's word. Okay, over the last two weeks, I have nibbled around the edges of a biblical case for a physical Sabbath rest. I've not explained yet what the Bible means about physical rest until today. Read verses 4 and then verses 9 and 10 in Hebrews 4 with me. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And then jump down to verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his, his works. And if you want the context of these verses, I'll just reference you to the previous two Sundays. Some good folks read these verses and su- suggest that because of Christ and under the new covenant, our rest is only spiritual. This is not only the common view, but probably the dominant view throughout American Christianity. At the very least, functionally, it is the most prevalent view, functionally, at the very least. Why is this I th- the dominant view? There's actually a lot of reasons. I'm not going to get into all of them. Well, as we look at this text, woven in and out of these verses is a gospel proclamation that by faith in Jesus Christ, you have rest, right? Your soul can rest and be at peace because of being united with Christ. That's what we read in Hebrews 4. You can be at rest because you have been forgiven of your sins, right? Praise God. You can be at rest because Christ has defeated death and you, by virtue of Christ's resurrection, no longer need to fear death. The soul finds rest because of Christ. And I can say yes and amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. It is good news. Some of the points I'm going to make today make no sense without the good news of the gospel that we read in Hebrews 4. However, We can't ignore the emphasis on man to physically rest just as God rested on the seventh day. We can't ignore that. The point is introduced in verse 4, and then in verses 9 and 10, the point is punctuated. It's like an exclamation point. Because God rested from his works, you need to rest from your works. This is called Sabbath rest. 
the phrase Sabbath rest in verse 9 is not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's an interesting word. Uh, the word Sabbath rest, the word Sabbath is all over the Bible, but what the author of Hebrews has done, he took the word Sabbath, he took the word rest in the Greek and kind of smashed them together. It's kind of a novel thing that's being done here in, in Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews seems to invent this word to make a point. There is an appointed day for the people of God to rest. Since the creation of the world, physical and spiritual rest are connected. Because we are limited creatures, God has ordained a, a specific pattern for us. God ordained a pattern that is good and holy. God calls Christians to continue to emulate this pattern, to repeat it for our, for our health, for our good, and for the glory of God. Here's when God established the pattern. We saw this last week, and we'll repeat it again this week. The author of Hebrews goes to Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Some observations are in order. First, God ceased to rest on the seventh day, right? If the only point to be made is that God stopped creating and we have a seventh day where God did not create, perhaps there's nothing more to say. Sunday is simply about NASCAR and the NFL, right? But there's more going on, which leads to another observation. In Genesis 2-3, it said God blessed the seventh day. Now that's interesting. The only other time God blesses in the creation account is when he blesses man and woman, which were created on the sixth day. God doesn't bless the sixth day. He blesses man and woman. And then on the seventh day, he blesses the seventh day. It's interesting to me. It's like God was looking at these aspects of his creation. He's like, this is the good stuff right here. I'm blessing it. We also read in verse 3 that God makes the seventh day holy. Holy. God made the seventh day holy to distinguish it from all the other days. The seventh day is consecrated. It, 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 it's set aside. What I want you to see from the creation account is the uniqueness of the seventh day in setting it aside. Setting it aside for what? I'll get to that in a moment. So Christians, can, we can debate, we can quibble about the contemporary significance of the seventh day, but we can argue that it is unique from the other six. That is plain and clear. Again, the author of Hebrews directly quotes Genesis 2.2. The rest we have under the new covenant is directly connected to what we see in creation. The thread that is the threat of rest, is also directly connected to the story um, that we see in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 16, it's actually quite a striking story. In Exodus 16, we read about Israel wandering in the wilderness, right? As they were wandering, they grumbled, they were hungry, 
And so they grumbled about God. They didn't grumble to God. They just grumbled about God. Because God is patient and faithful. God provides food. God provided bread in the morning and quail in the evening. But here's the deal. On days one through five of the week, Israel was to only gather what they needed. No more and no less. So if you're a family of four, a mother, um, husband and a wife and two kids, right? You, you go out and you just grab for those four people in days one through five. Just take what you need. No more, no less. But on the sixth day, they were to gather and prepare everything they needed for the sixth and seventh day because the seventh day is supposed to be a Sabbath rest. But we read in the story that some Israelites did not listen to Moses. Here's a summation of the story from Exodus 16. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. It's like, guys, um, were, were you there in the assembly when Moses was teaching us what not to do? <laughs> so they went out, but they found none. Shocker, right? And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. That's a good thing. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You should notice that before God gives the Ten Commandments, several chapters later in Exodus, this commandment is firmly in place. Since the creation of the world, God has been weaving in the importance of Sabbath rest. Yes, God is about to give nine more commandments, but the Sabbath already has a precedent. Speaking of the fourth commandment, in Exodus 20, we read this. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. There's that word again. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You know, us Americans, we say five days you shall labor <laughs> and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Lord your God. On it you should not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed, there's that word again, the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you're seeing the pattern, right? Blessed and holy is the seventh day. Rest on the seventh day. Even the, even the livestock. We got horses, right? I'm just trying to picture in my mind. What does it mean for the horses to rest? <laughs> but I think, again, it's punctuating the point. Rest. Is there someone traveling through your area and, and, they're, and, they're, and you're housing them, a sojourner, right? Even the sojourner is supposed to rest. The sojourner might not even be a Jew or a Christian as it is for us, right? But that person is supposed to rest. Rest needs to be a part of the culture, biblical rest, part of the culture in your home at church. And I would even argue it's good for society. Now, a counterpoint against what I'm preaching is this. In, in conversations I've had over the years, this would be one counterpoint. Pastor Sean, it seems you're preaching legalism, right? 
it looks like you're leading us down the road of fundamentalism. You're giving us rules to follow. And I would respond this way. If preaching God's moral law, do not murder, do not commit adultery, keep the Sabbath. If that is the path toward legalism, then I suppose I'm guilty as charged. Guilty. But really, that isn't legalism. Legalism is adding to God's moral law. I'm not adding to God's law, but upholding God's moral law. The reason the charge of legalism may come up is because it might be someone's third rail issue. It really gets at what we do and how we order our lives and indeed our entire week. And so it kind of makes you squeamish, like, oof. Keeping the Sabbath holy touches upon a person's life, and it's touched upon mine. I've already admitted it, and sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. So do I live in my discomfort, or do I look at God's word and I say, okay, what's he saying to me here? Okay, I won't belabor that point. The Sabbath in the Old Testament is a big deal, big, big deal. If you did a word study on Sabbath in the Old Testament, you might be shocked at the prominence of the topic. Even, even the prophets preached against those who did not keep the Sabbath, right? Before, but, um, before looking at the day of rest in the New Testament, I want to continue to explore why a day of rest is a big deal. It's a big deal because Sabbath rest is given, given to man to worship God. Yes, God's people worship seven days a week, but the Lord wants a day set aside for him. For six days, you labor and you toil, right? Six days, you go to work, you go to school, you faithfully strive to the glory of God, but after six days, you stop and you, and you worship God. Families and small faith communities particularly are called to set aside a day. The Sabbath rest is the day to stop doing the things that make up days one through six. Think, think with me for a moment. How radical would your spiritual life change if you set aside an entire day to focus on biblical rest? Not granted, you know, 24 hours in a day, you're sleeping part of that, I get it, you know. But think about how radical your spiritual life would change if you truly pursued biblical rest on the Lord's day. Not just an hour and a half, but an entire day. 24 hours. Again, you're sleeping a little bit. To focus on God with the family. To focus on God within the confines of the local church. I mean, I'm going to end my sermon with several points of application, but until then, I just want to let the question kind of linger there. How radical would your spiritual life be changed if an entire day was set aside to focus on God and lay aside the, the distractions that exist in the previous six days? We, I, I'm admitting this, right? We, we don't think like this, right? Whether it's within the culture or whether it's within American Christianity, we've been told a very different message. 
Now, debate, debate breaks out when we get to the New Testament. I think everything I've said up to this point regarding my general exegesis of the Old Testament, most people are kind of like, okay, I'm with you. Makes sense. Old covenants, we're good, right? Old Testament, Old Covenant. But the New Testament is where the questions arise. The question on the table is, did Jesus create a new precedent regarding the Sabbath? Some say yes, some say no, and others would say, well, there's some nuance here that we need to talk about. What we know for sure is that Sabbath rest means something, which is why the author of Hebrews brings it up. So we can't ignore it. It means something. In Matthew 5, 17, our Lord says he came to fulfill the law. He did not make the law, talking about the moral law, obsolete. But within the context of his mission, he wanted to see the people of God redeemed. He has fulfilled the law. Therefore, it is my opinion that the Ten Commandments continue to be a moral standard given to us by God, including a day of rest. Let's consider, consider a few stories about Sabbath rest in the Gospels. In Matthew 12, we read a story of Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields. For me, it's walking, you know, for all of us, it's walking through the cornfields. Like I grew up, I just grab a piece of corn and you just kind of eat it, right? Didn't matter if it was feed corn or sweet corn, it was, it was corn, right? And so the disciples were doing this through the wheat fields and then they were eating the grain heads of the wheat. And I didn't even know what that means other than it provided for them some sustenance because they were hungry. And then what happens? The Pharisees go nuts. It's happening on the Sabbath. The Pharisees go nuts. They, they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus says to them, and I quote, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? So it was a time, going back to 1 Samuel, David was hungry, excuse me, 2 Samuel, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is a no-no. He wasn't supposed to do that which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. So he's giving one example, Jesus says. Now here's the next example. Or have you not read in the law how, the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, Jesus says, and this is the crux of what he's getting at, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. I don't have time to exegete that passage, but just a few things I want you to see. If Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath, he defines the terms of the Sabbath. Here's what's going on in Matthew 12. Just a few things. During the time of Christ, the temple was deeply connected to the Sabbath. The temple became the place of Sabbath. But Jesus knows a few things that the Pharisees did not know. First, Jesus knew that in 70 ADs, less than 40 years from the time of this particular incident, the temple was going to be destroyed. And it was, 70 AD, right? Good luck finding your Sabbath rest when the object that you associate with Sabbath rest, the temple, is torn down. Second, we know from reading the New Testament that Jesus is the new temple. That's John 2. And anyone in Christ is also a part of the temple, i.e. the church, right? But I want you to notice what is not being said. The Sabbath rest is never dismissed. 
The abuse is addressed, for sure. But the commandment is never done away with. I'd asked earlier whether we see something new from Jesus regarding the Sabbath. And the answer is that we see something better. We see someone who is greater. Jesus, in my opinion, is not abolishing the Sabbath, but is telling a bunch of Pharisees that they have lost the human element of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a, not a bunch of rules, right? But it is a command, a command to rest. And with resting, there's supposed to be extending mercy to one another. That's Matthew 12, 7. Within Sabbath rest, we're supposed to be loving those within our midst who are suffering. Sabbath rest is about rightly aligning the human heart before God. We need that every single Sunday because Monday is coming and then Tuesday is coming and then Wednesday is coming and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. When it comes to the Sabbath, Jesus rightly corrects the application of the Pharisees. The Gospel of Mark also records an instance when Jesus and his disciples were eating the heads of grain. And note what Jesus says in this situation. It's similar to what we saw in Matthew, but he adds an additional layer. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath because we need it. We need it. Sabbath rest is a mercy from God. A mercy from God. So, if Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for man, do we need to uphold the Sabbath as it was constituted in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is yes and no. What I think we need to maintain is a dedicated day of biblical rest. We need to set aside a day for God. Up until the 20th century-ish, we don't know an exact date, ish is really great, so 20th century-ish, there was no confusion about what Sunday was all about. No confusion. What are you guys doing today? What do you mean? (laughs) Same thing we did last Sunday. Going to church. You don't go to church for the sake of church. You go to church to gather with the saints to worship God, Right? Like, for the majority of church history, that's what is happening. A strong sense that we set the, side, set the day aside for the Lord. And by the way, if your neighbor's not going to church, you say to your neighbor, Hey, come on, let's go. Come see what this is all about. Worshiping the creator and the sustainer of the universe. There was no confusion. There was a time when families were committed to eating together on Sunday, right? Like, one thing I loved about what happened last Sunday is that we had church. And not, not everyone could make it, but many of us did make it. We went to the Kleins. We hung out. We ate food. We laughed. We told stories, right? Talked about life. Encouraged one another. Just what Ryan was reading earlier from Hebrews 10. Loving one another. Encouraging. All that was happening, right? On the Lord's Day. As it should. As it should, right? The physical and spiritual rest that is supposed to occur one day a week is meant to recharge you 
for the week ahead. Now, I must confess that I'm still working through what Sabbath rest functionally means at the, at the Powers House, but I can share some convictions that Sharice and I already have. For example, talk about third rail, here we go. Youth sports and activities have become a seven-day-a-week venture. Fact check true. I, I get, this is just anecdotal, but when I teach and I hear kids say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? It's Monday, so I'm just checking in with the kids. Be like, hey, tell me about your life. And I'm, I'm sad for all the times that I hear, oh, I was at a tournament all weekend. And I'm like, I know what that means then. And that, that's a regular response. And I'm like, then I know you missed the Lord's Day. I know you missed the Lord's Day. Youth sports and activities have exploded over the last 30 years or so. And, and back to some commitments Sharice and I have made. We've made it a regular practice that youth sports should not interfere with church. And we've had to talk to our daughters about that. In light of what we've seen so far in Holy Scripture, this principle that we've implemented actually is a fairly low bar. I recall telling a coach that as a family, we guard our Sundays because we're Christians, not because I'm a pastor, but because we're Christians. Now, think about what was being communicated to that coach. What was I communicating without actually saying it? I was saying that God is more important than sports. Coming together as a church family is more important than sports. Listen, it does not take long for a person to figure out that I love sports. I love sports, 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 sports. Man, I grew up on ESPN. I love the lessons that are taught to anyone participating in sports. I am certainly a massive fan of youth sports, just generally speaking. But not at, not at the expense of gathering with the body of Christ on the Lord's Day. There are six days of the week to pursue a plethora of activities. So why is it so difficult to give one day a week to God? I want to also say to parents, you send a message, a godly message to your kids when you commit yourself to the Lord's day. And when you commit yourself to the Lord's Day at the expense of something else, the message that God is more important is amplified. I mean, it's good to have the routine, like we just go to church, but when it's at the expense of something else, it's like, whoa, this really matters to mom and dad a lot. What, what I'm not saying here. Is like, when you go on vacation, you can't skip church. Don't hear any of that, right? Or like, if you don't show up on Sunday, all of a sudden, like, I'm breaking out the spreadsheet to see who is or isn't there, right? None of that's happening. What I am emphasizing is the importance of the day and how it should be prioritized in our life. How we should rightly order our lives around the Lord's day. Now, where is the line? Can my daughters play sports on Sunday? Well, I think that some of that's a matter of conscience, right? 
If it's a slow Sunday afternoon and my kids want to go to the pool, I'm the first to grab the towel and the car keys, right? That very well could be restful. That's the legalism part, right? That's when you add to the law. I'm not doing that this morning, but I am emphasizing the importance of biblical rest. Because some application is a matter of conscience, here are three principles to consider. Number one, are you pursuing biblical rest? So simply ask that question. The way that the Bible defines it, making the day holy, separating it for God, knowing it's blessed by God. Are you pursuing biblical rest? Are you keeping the day holy? Are you committed to your local church? Those are three good categories to be thinking out of as you consider what takes place on this day. Perhaps these three questions can serve as a filter for how you use the day. Now, I have to address one question that always comes up when talking about Sunday as the Lord's Day. In all the conversations I've had throughout the years, this question comes up. If Hebrews 4 invokes the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament, and I suggest that church is called to gather on Sunday, then I'm in seemingly in a pickle. The last day of the week for Jews is Saturday. I got an amen back there. I'm going to have to talk to him later. <laughs> right. it, that's true, right? You meet a good Jew, practicing Jew, their Sabbath is Saturday. They're, they're consistent with their teaching in, in the Old Testament. And Sunday is the first day of the week. Like, I'm not great at math, but I can probably figure that little you know, equation out and be like, hey, hey, what do I do with that? What is the justification for moving the day of rest and worship from Saturday to Sunday? Here's what our confession of faith says on the matter. In the New Testament, the church began to gather on the first day of the week, Sunday, for its corporate worship. This is commonly referred to as the Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection of our Savior. It is commendable to reserve this day for corporate and private worship. The reason why the church has shifted from gathering on on the traditional Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, and now gathering on Sunday is because, first and foremost, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Lord, Lord rose from the dead on the first day of the week, Sunday. While the principles of Sabbath rest are to be maintained, we gather on Sunday to worship and glorify the crucified and risen Savior. We actually see the shift take place in Acts 20. We read, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, Monday, as he prolonged his speech until midnight. So they're they're gathering here in Acts 10, seemingly in some type of worship service. And the point is reinforced in 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, apparently the church was gathering together and they were going to um, give alms and, and care for those who were in need. As I directed the churches of Galatia, and so also to you, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. This pattern has continued throughout church history. Like if you just... Step away and look at extra-biblical evidence. This pattern has continued all throughout church history. I think it's right and true. I'm going to land the plane with several thoughts. We've been in the air. We've been 30,000 feet above. 
We're looking at the DSM airport, and I'm going to land the plane here. It's in view. I think I have laid out the case that biblical rest is spiritual and physical, and our spiritual rest is found in Christ, and our physical rest happens in part on the Lord's Day, especially when we gather to worship our Savior. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, the next step is to ensure that you're rightly ordering your week and Sunday in honor and worship of the Lord, right? It's got to be, if this is pricking you, if it's ringing true to you, then it's like, okay, how do I rightly order my week and my day? We all live different lives, right? We all live different lives. So I trust, I trust the Holy Spirit will lead you to a place of greater, greater faithfulness as you strive for this rest on this side of eternity. I will not tell you if you should or should not work on Sunday or whether you should participate in extra, should or should not participate in extracurricular activities. But I want to help you apply Sabbath rest by asking four questions. Four questions. Number one, are there regular practices and rhythms that you do Monday through Saturday that you should cease to do on Sunday? The point of this question is is this idea that we need to consecrate or set aside the day for something unique. Number two, what are you doing on Saturday night to prepare your mind and heart and body for Sunday? I mean, as I mentioned, that particular question is pricking my conscience. Are you leaning in and expecting to receive the rest from worshiping God on Sunday? Like, I can tell you, man, as I was just sitting here singing during worship, I, I did feel at rest. Of just sitting here and, and hearing people sing with me, just picking out the voices that were praising God. Like, that was super restful, as it should be. And number four, and I hope this is true. Are you allowing the Lord's Day to recharge you for the week ahead? The week ahead, right? I mean, unless you got vacation or something, you're all going to work on, on Monday, or you're going to school, or you got something, right? These are four questions for you to consider. I, I actually plan to email you these questions as a reminder for you to ponder them throughout the week. I'm going to end by showing you why the author of Hebrews goes back to Genesis and how this connects with the book of Revelation. For everyone in the room who follows Jesus, we look forward to an eternal rest. We have to keep that in mind, the hope of an eternal rest. We look forward to the day when every day is Sunday. Here's part of what heavenly rest will look like. I'm picking this from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street and of the city, also on either side of the river. Look at this. We're headed back to the garden here. The tree of life. The tree of life. With its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God of the Lamb and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Man, eternity is going to be great. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads. I mean, it seems weird. I don't know what that means, but it's a big deal, right? And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you look forward to that day? I do. Until that day, we have a pattern to pursue for our good and for the glory of God. Our striving after rest in Christ in our rhythms and practices on the Lord's day will find its full expression in heaven. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.